Powered by Righteous Media. Welcome to Independent Americans. Welcome to a special Ukraine War Report, episode 158. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Ukraine remains under siege. Putin's forces continue to advance and kill countless civilians. And Russia is going dark. Today, Twitter was shut down by Putin all across Russia. And now, in this moment, is definitely a time to stay vigilant. How does this end? Somebody in Russia has to step up to the plate. Is there Brutus in Russia? Is there a more successful Colonel Stauffenberg in the <coughs> Russian military? The only way this ends, my friend, is for somebody in Russia to take this guy out. That's Senator Lindsey Graham, Republican from South Carolina. Even a broken clock is right sometimes. And Lindsey Graham is definitely a very broken clock. But it's true that this likely doesn't end until Putin's dead or in prison. And that might be now. That might be 10 years from now. But from within is the most likely way it could happen. And it needs to happen. Something needs to happen because Putin must be stopped. We covered it at length in our last episode with Biana Goladriga. Check it out if you haven't already. But the great Gary Kasparov has underscored the insurgency. The chess master and the critic of Putin has been on a tweet storm and continues to issue calls on behalf of the Ukrainian people. And this is what he wrote today. Putin's war on Ukraine has entered its next phase, one of destruction and slaughter of civilians. It's also part of Putin's world war, a war on the civilized world of international law, democracy, and any threat to his power, which he declared long ago. He continues, the free world's denial of this war and decades of appeasement allowed Putin to threaten and conquer abroad while turning Russia into a police state. The price to stop him has gone up every time he has advanced unchallenged. Ukrainians are paying that price in blood. And he continued, if Putin is not stopped now, not prevented from destroying Ukraine and committing genocide against its people, there will be a next time, and it will be in NATO with an unprecedented nuclear threat. Do not let Putin escalate again in a time and place of his choosing. And he had one more point. Everyone's quoting my 2015 book, Winter is Coming, and saying I was right to listen to Kasparov. But will you still listen when I say this will take sacrifice and risk? Not just wheat and gas prices. Not just empty chalets and unemployed lobbyists. Easy is over. That's Gary Kasparov. Easy is over. That's the truth. That's the truth of this moment. Easy is over. And that's the truth America needed to hear at the State of the Union this week from Biden. This is wartime now. Wartime is not easy. Wartime requires sacrifice. And the less we sacrifice now the more we'll lose later. Total disruption of the world order is Putin's goal. And on that, he's winning right now. 
and he's continuing to control the tempo. The rest of the world has to change that now. I have to change that now. You have to change that now. Having even the slightest feeling that you're making an impact and helping to fix things is massively better than sitting there waiting helplessly for someone else to fix it. The fight of our time is here. And now, more than any other time in our lifetime, now is a time for us all to stay vigilant. And now is also a time for us to fight in whatever way we can. Easy is over and wartime is here. This is the most significant global moment of conflict since 9-11, maybe since World War II. And I will continue to focus on it on this show until further notice. I told you, we'll talk to analysts, politicians, fighters, leaders, and we will support Ukraine in any way we can. Because like never, ever before, stakes is high. Like never before. So here on Independent Americans, I will continue to bring you what I'm calling Ukraine war reports like this. This one's dropping on Friday night. I'm going to try to get them to you as often as possible and push out more conversations, more information, more insight than just our standard once a week on Independent Americans. If you think it's useful to you, share it and send feedback because we'll increase and intensify our unique focus on national security, military operations, and foreign policy to bring you more independent content to help you meet this moment, stay ahead of the curve, and stay vigilant. I'm going to continue to dig deeper, add light to contrast to heat, demand accountability, challenge the groupthink, and work hard to keep you ahead of the curve. And we won't just talk about what's happening. We'll talk about what's next. And there's nobody better to talk about what's next than our guest in this special episode. He's just back from inside Ukraine, and he'll probably go back soon. He's a friend of this show. He's the Nance Stradamus. He's Malcolm Nance. Unless you're new here, you know who he is. He's one of the most popular guests in our history. Malcolm Nance, America's favorite terrorism expert, a decorated military veteran, an analyst, a truth teller, a TV terrorism analyst, and New York Times bestselling author. He's a retired Navy Master Chief who was a specialist in naval cryptology, and he's been involved in counterterrorism, intelligence, and combat operations around the world for multiple conflicts. And he was an instructor in SEER school, survival, evasion, resistance, and escape. He's also one of the most interesting guys anywhere. The guy's got stories. And he's got enemies, foreign and domestic. If you haven't heard our previous episodes, he was with us on 104 in March of 2021, episode 94 in January of 2021, right after the insurrection. He was with us in episode 81 in October of 2020 and all the way back in episode 13 in June of 2019. Back then, we were talking about Iran. Since, we've talked about insurrections, we've talked about domestic insurgencies, we've talked about Russia. And Malcolm's predicted national security threats for years. And he's back again on independent Americans fresh off the plane from Ukraine to share some new predictions and 
to share a sense of the ground truth. He was on the ground moving with Ukrainian forces right before the attacks happened. And I'll ask him, is this already World War III? Why the hell hasn't a no-fly zone happened already? How good are the Ukrainian forces? What do they need? How will they fight? Where will they win? Where will they lose? And is there any way this ends without somebody taking out Putin? We're going to dig into all of it. But first, about this song. Andrei Kelvinuk is the front man of the top Ukrainian band Boombox. And he dropped out of his tour in the U.S. to go home to Ukraine to defend his country. That's him. He's a massive star in Ukraine. But that's him singing. And while he's singing, he's dressed in camouflage. He's carrying an AK-47. He's wearing sunglasses and a New York Yankees hat. There's a lot of fake tough guys and tough gals in music all around the world and especially in the U.S., But this guy's the real deal. He's fighting for his country, and he's doing what he also does best, which is drop great music. He's answering the call. Everyone is answering the call. And that's a special remix that he let happen thanks to the Kifnis, who is an artist and producer from South Africa. And he's singing a Ukrainian folk song that I'm not going to try to pronounce the name of. But all royalties from the video are going to be donated to humanitarian aid for the Ukrainian armed forces. I'll link to it in the show notes. Check out the video, check out the charity, and take action. It's time to throw everything we've got at Putin. And it's time to get in and truly stand with Ukraine. And we're going to take you inside in this episode. It's a time to improvise, adapt, and overcome. Easy is over. Welcome to the long, hard, bloody costly, urgent fight. Welcome to the moment. Welcome to a look inside what the fight looks like right now. And welcome to what it could look like in the days to come. And what it could look like for decades to come. Welcome to another Ukraine War Report special. Welcome to Independent Americans, episode 158. Independent Americans around the country, around the world, and inside Ukraine, inside Russia, everywhere else that might be listening. Uh, we are going to continue to bring you content and focus on the war in Ukraine. This is another special edition of the Ukraine War Report on Independent Americans. And you know, if you're a longtime listener, who we had to bring back. This is the moment to bring back one of our returning champions, one of our most popular guests, uh, the, the man who has been called Nanstradamus himself. The great and powerful Malcolm Nance is back on Independent Americans. Welcome back, sir. Oh, is that who it was? I, thought I was waiting for Sarah Jessica Parker. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, know, you have real way better guests than me, bro. 
Uh, I, you know, I, I'm sure she's got lots of opinions of what's going on right now. Maybe she wants to join the fight. Shit, it seems like a lot of folks want to join the fight right now. But I'm, I'm glad you can make some time and break it down. You're just back from over there. You've always got a unique uh, insight. There's a lot I want to get to. NATO just said no to the no-fly zone. We got vets joining the International Legion. Lindsey Graham says we should uh, kill Putin. But uh, you are always in the middle of all of it. So let me ask you, as I always do, where are you now? And how are you? Well, I'm fine. I've been back in the United States six days. I just spent uh, a month in Ukraine. I left by sheer chance. well, and some analysis of the tea leaves that I left six hours uh, before the airstrike decimated the airports in that country. So I got out on the last Lufthansa flight uh, to Frankfurt. And, and now you're I'm back, back in, in the U.S. Frankfurt. now? Yeah, I'm in upstate and, New York. And uh, how does that feel to have been in Ukraine six days ago and now be in upstate New York? I mean, that's got to be kind of a mindfuck. It is. It's very weird. And, you know, you know the feeling when you come home from a deployment. This one wasn't a real intense deployment because for the month that I was in Ukraine, uh, although I knew an invasion was coming, I was there specifically with our terror analysis, our think tank tapestry, which we study asymmetric warfare. And there was nothing was going to be more asymmetric than the Russian invasion of Ukraine with 77 percent of its army surrounding that nation. So one of the things that I wanted to do, because I'm a real field intelligence guy, um, you know, you can't talk about it. You can't comment on it, no matter how much combat experience you have. And as you know, I've, I took part in three invasions, three major invasions and five combat actions total ground combat. Well, that's not true. One of them was naval combat, but we did wipe out Iranian warship. So. Um, so I do have some experience in, 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 in regard to land warfare. Uh, I've been to destroyed European cities, European capitals, Sarajevo, during the uh, Bosnian-Serbian wars. So I, I had some experience in this regard. When I arrived in Kiev, I expected to see a gray concrete block, Eastern European Russian-built city. That is not what I saw. I saw a very modern European Western European city that had a relatively high level of wealth in the capital, even though Ukraine has the lowest, second lowest GDP in Europe, they live within that GDP, a middle class lifestyle. And I saw that in every location that I was in, whether it was a village, you know, they had the satcom, they had the nice gardens, they had the fences, there was no trash. On the streets, um, look, if if any of you have ever been to Ireland, Ireland's a beautiful country, but don't look off the edge of the roads. Everyone dumps all of their trash and garbage there. I rode a horse there for two weeks, so I was like, (laughs) I can't believe Ireland is so dirty. Um, But Ukraine is not like that. It is a beautiful, clean country. The capital was very cosmopolitan. The Louis Vuitton was, was one of the largest I had ever seen. And I couldn't believe that the Russians were planning specifically to destroy 77 years of rebuilding that had happened since the end of World War II. Uh, so I went there. We analyzed the Russian order of battle. I, I, we, we took an office. We mapped out the Russian order of battle. And then what we did 
was we drove all of the major roads that we predicted the invasion routes would have to take. Uh, the the um, Kiev to Chernihiv, Chernihiv to the border, Chernihiv to Sumy, uh, you know, um, out towards um, uh, Zhutomir, uh, and the places where they're fighting right now, Hostomil, where the Antonov aircraft factory is that had the, I saw the world's largest transport in, a, in its hangar just before it was destroyed by Russian special forces. Hmm. Uh, the Miria. So, and then we evaluated all of the evacuation routes out west and to the southwest and to the south. Uh, and I also went with the Ukrainian army to Donetsk, to Adovitsa, to uh, to interview the combat commanders out there. And I had a, a meeting and a selfie with the commander of all Ukrainian land war, land forces, the, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Um, and uh, I, I really got an in-depth view of the ground, the lay of the land, the cities, the villages, the bridges, all of the infrastructure. Hmm. I want, that's exactly why I wanted you on the show. I want to I build on that understanding. But I also want to pull it out because you and I have had a number of conversations on my show and we have predicted many of the things that were to come, right? Our, our interactions with Iran, the insurrection, the domestic insurgency. You know, you and I, I think, are part of a group of people who have been ahead of the curve, who haven't been surprised by the things that are happening. You know, I, I have viewed us at war with Russia for a while now. You know, when, I think when you're waging cyber attacks, when you're attacking an election, in my view, that is a new definition of war. And our definitions and our structures haven't caught up to the modern reality. I have considered Putin an enemy for a long time. The world has now woken up to this reality. I want to ask you a very straightforward question that I also asked Bianca Goladriga in our last episode. Mm. Malcolm, are we already in World War III? I'm not one of the, the people that believe that. I think what's happening here is there's a plan. It's in Putin's mind. No one knows what it is. We don't know whether he is now operating under a mental defect. Uh, people that I, that, I, that I met in Ukraine, some of whom knew Vladimir Putin personally, uh, back when he was uh, you know, a young president, and one guy knew him when he was prime minister and had just transitioned from the director of Russian intelligence uh, under Boris Yeltsin. And then someone put me in touch with a scholar who from Finland who knew and cons who Putin would consult with. And almost to a person, they said that since the beginning of the COVID pandemic, he's been like insanely paranoid. First of COVID, which doesn't speak well of the Sputnik vaccine, right? right, right. <laughs> you know, the president of your own country doesn't even trust your own vaccine. You know, he went and got AstraZeneca <laughs> or <laughs> Pfizer <laughs> with triple boost. So, uh, you know, the big giant 40 foot long table that if you're not vaccinated or you won't take a COVID test, you can't come within literally, you know, 40, 50 feet of him. Um, and then when you're with him and you have been vaccinated and you aren't testing negative, you still got to sit eight to 10 feet away from him. it's bizarre behavior. But he lives in this little bubble now. And the problem that we have is he believes whatever is happening in that bubble. And that leads us to why no one can understand what he's doing. There is nothing, in, there is nothing successfully imperial about this. You know, people are saying, oh, he's trying to recreate imperial Russia. Really? Which czar? Because Tsar Nicholas I, whose philosophy was um, monarchy, 
Orthodoxy nationality, built churches, built roads, built infrastructure, built bridges. Putin's not doing that. It's certainly not Alex, you know, um, um, you know, uh, Peter the Great, who went by foot and worked in European and British shipyards to essentially a technology spy so that he could build a greater navy and built the city of St. Petersburg and all these other things. We actually had this discussion one night over drinks, of course. What will be Vladimir Putin have named after him? Nothing. There won't be a Vladimirisburg. There won't be, you know, a, a you know, a, 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 a Putinetsk or or some, you know, mm-hmm. maybe there will be a men's outhouse. You know, he's <laughs> got the Trump effect. No one now will ever say Vladimir Putin did anything for Russia because this hasn't reestablished their greatness. And I've seen their greatness in, in the middle of Kiev, a little greatness is the, the giant, you know, three, four hundred foot statue of uh, Rodina Mat, which is the giant, you know, statue of the woman holding a sword in the Soviet shield in the left hand. By the way, the shield, you can go up and that is actually an observation deck. It's that yeah. big. And um, that was built by Leonid Brezhnev. And it's known as Brezhnev's daughter. <laughs> OK, the Ukrainians hate the Soviet crest on it. But they built something. All right. the bridges were reconstructed. Putin has done none of this. So and the question is, what's in his crazy mind? What's his legacy? Well, so so let's know. We know that his legacy will be destruction. And the question is, what level of destruction? So I, I really, you know, I expanded on this in the last podcast. Um, you know, I think that the, the fight is upon us and it is now, you know, in, before the world to figure out how we engage in it, how we can support our allies, how we can support Ukraine, how we can save as many civilians as possible. The, the issue that's front and center right now is a no-fly zone, right? The, the Ukrainians are calling for it. I mm-hmm. understand that. If I were there, I'd be asking for it, too. Um, you know, the common group think has been you can't enforce a no-fly zone because it'll start World War III, which is, in my view, exactly what Putin wants to do to keep us from engaging. But my question is, you know, th- there seems to be a lack of creativity. Um, there's also an overestimation on the part of the U.S. and NATO that we can control everything. So what is what is stopping uh, Poland from act- acting independently? And what are our options? If people say no to a no-fly zone, what do you think we can do to protect our Ukrainian allies on the ground beyond what we're doing right now, beyond standing on the borders and watching Ukraine become a parking lot? Um, well, what can we be doing? What should we be doing that we're not doing now, whether it's a no-fly zone or something else? Well, here's a little controversy, which I like to stir up from time to time. I'm one of the few analysts, if now the only analyst, national security analyst in media, uh, that believes that Ukraine can actually win this battle. I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. Look at the flows of Russian forces. Don't look at, you know, Clint Watts on the big board with the arrows in the in the red terrain of occupied terrain. None of that is true. Here's what's true, because I've driven those roads. Okay, and there's some, by the way, Ukraine greatest, um, greatest highway gas station uh, convenience stores on the planet. (laughs) Just bar none. They are like little internet. They're like little. um, Eastern Europe has those for sure. They're like little whole food. Oh, no, they're way better than the German ones. Yeah, yeah. No, because they have 
boatloads of liquor in them from every country in Europe. You can get, I'm not joking, French brie, and in the same booth, French brie, Spanish or Italian bread, Armenian canned cooked ostrich, okay, and a can of horse meat from Azerbaijan. So yummy. Yummy. And, and espresso. <laughs> Jack Daniels, they have cases of, they actually have a display of Jack Daniels tied together with a six pack of Coke. Jack but you Daniels. think they could, let's take it back. You think I, they can win. I'm, and I'm, this is the point I think is important, right? The reason I'm explaining yeah. the yeah. gas station system yeah. is because those gas stations, which are everywhere along the invasion routes, had to have been one of the strategic objectives of the Russians, which is why their follow on logistics forces are weak apparently very weak, uh, why vehicles are running out of fuel. The Ukrainians took all the diesel, knowing the Russian tanks aren't running on petrol, right? And for the most part, the lines of, a, the lines of invasion have all of these crossroads that they must seize. And as you get further and further down each line of invasion, you're stretching out. The, let me tell you another thing. Two weeks ago, two weeks ago today, I was driving on the highways and it was 52 degrees Fahrenheit. I couldn't believe it. The temperatures in upstate New York and Albany, New York, were 20 degrees colder than Ukraine in winter. It was unbelievable, the temperatures. I mean, where it should have been 10 degrees, it was 35. The entirety of that country melted and it turned into a mud pit. We got off the road one time in a Prado, and the tires were, were six inches deep in mud, uh, and we could barely get out of that. Rush, imagine a 60-ton MT-80 main battle tank, and we've already seen the photographs. They've yep. gone all the way up to the top of the hull in mud, and then an artillery piece was trying to tow it out. It got stuck in mud. They had to abandon it. So Ukraine, Mother Nature itself, is now beating them. Here's where the Russian forces are only on the tarmac roads. And if it's not in a straight line down that tarmac road, they don't control it. So those lines as they pierce into Ukraine are completely and utterly vulnerable to counterattack from the rear in maneuver warfare. That is letting your enemy flow by you. You take your elements, go right and left, and you know the terrain. You know that the road sign doesn't say, actually mean go F yourself 25 kilometers, which is what they've changed the road signs to say. Right. Right. And then you can come around their rear and tear them up. The Ukrainians gave a hint yesterday that this is what they were doing, was that these avenues of attack, that these approaches may have actually been sort of deliberate. They said the Ukrainian army will now shift from defense to counterattack. And I thought that's a very interesting statement to make. When if you watch national news media, the entire country is on the edge of collapse. Not even true. Russia occupies perhaps 20 percent of the highways that lead into Ukraine, not the actual territory of Ukraine. Some cities, yes, they got Melitopol. Yes, they got Kherson. I predicted those would fall in the first 24 hours. It's so what, so what do we do, Malcolm, if, if they're being pulled in and they're vulnerable in the rear and, and they still have air assets that are blowing up civilians? What do you what do you think should be done by either the U.S. or independent nations? How do we help these people? Well, first off, the European Union has already set the pace saying that they would actually give them weapons, equipment 
in the tens of billions of dollars. There are Ukrainian pilots in Poland right now checking out and getting ready to fly over the MiG-29s, 20, I believe it's 24 MiG-29s that the Polish Air Force flies F-16s now. So they didn't need these. So they pop, they're getting them prepped up. And in, that's, that is a 50% increase in the Ukrainian Air Force's MiG-29 inventory. And there's other nations are saying that they'll give them the SU-27s and other MiG-29s. Their issue now is getting all the junior pilots qualified and keeping the senior pilots alive. But are but, you okay with us just fueling their fighters and us staying on the sidelines and up? not crossing the border with air assets, with drones, with all the other firepower we have to blow up a convoy that's just sitting there? Are you, are you in that camp where you say we can't cross that line and we need to let them fight it themselves? No, no. I, I'm going to tell you something. I, when I was out in the Donetsk uh, battlefield, I was there with General Sersky, commander of the land forces, right? General Sersky made a pretty flat statement to the journalists who were there. Um, he said, you know, people were saying, well, do you want the Americans to come fight with you? And he said, I don't want anyone to send manpower to Ukraine. We have a 250,000 men and women army. We have as many as half a million reserves, 100,000 of whom are combat veterans of, Af of Donetsk, Afghanistan, mm -hmm. and Iraq. OK, and United Nations missions in sub-Saharan Africa. A lot of people forget that, that you know, Ukrainians yeah. were in Iraq. Yeah, I so, remember. Yeah, yeah. I was there. I remember them. Yeah. Down in Najaf. So, yeah. you know, driving T-55s. So these he said what we want is we want a logistics train to sustain our combat effort. We have the manpower. And another thing, the Russians apparently are enjoying abandoning some very advanced surface-to-air missile systems. And the Ukrainians need to establish an immediate recovery, not blow them up. These Pantsir, um, you know, surface-to-air missile systems that they're capturing whole, drag those things back. The Ukrainian defense industry out in Lviv actually remanufactures tanks and weapons for, you know, the, for the Afghan army and the Saudi army. So they need to get these intermediate-range ballistic, uh, intermediate um, air defense systems up and running like the book. But they're also begging right now. Zelensky is on TV begging for a no fly zone. Yeah, that so, would make things that would just tilt the battle balance of the war. However, it would. Right. It would. Now, and, and that it, here's the kicker. Yeah. If Poland decides that they are going to do a no fly zone, the question is, does that mean Poland? You know, Poland itself would have to invoke Article five for NATO to come to its assistance. Right. That would be to them. That would be invading Poland physically. But if you're going to, you know, if we're this is 1939 all over again, we've been saying this for the last I've been saying this for the last month, which means that perhaps it's time for Len Lease <laughs> to be, yeah, to be yeah. established. Perhaps yeah. it's time. I mean, Poland is doing Len Lease with these MiG-29. Yeah. But why, why can't Poland say, why can't Poland say, as an example, hey, NATO, we're out for two weeks. We're out for two weeks. We're going to do our own thing. We're not going to wait till the Russians come into Poland and, and come into Moldova and come into, we're breaking away. NATO doesn't work for us right now. We're going to fucking hit the Russians. We're going to back the Ukrainians. We're going to tilt the momentum well, you, and not let Putin control the tempo anymore. the Russians. All they need to do is start flying air combat missions west right. Of, right. of the M06 highway. Um, you so know, if you're president and Zelensky calls you and says I and or he goes to NATO and says, I need a no fly zone. 
you would grant it for him in some way, right? You would get creative and find a way to get him what he's asking for. I would, I would ensure that there are enough fighter coverage up there that the Russians would not be able to move beyond Kiev. But that's a no. Now, you, you would not, you would not, you, you would not push, send in any other assets. Push that fighter envelope all the way to the Russian border. Here's what I would do: Malcolm Nance, Commander in Chief, uh, in consultation with his NATO allies, I would establish an immediate an immediate, aggressive, and unlimited use of the Predator drone system on a lead lease basis with ground pods that are in Ukraine with a Ukrainian pilot and a Ukrainian uh, weapon systems guy. So that aircraft might take off from uh, Mildenhall or it might take off from uh, Frank or from, um, you know, Karlsruhe. And it may go on a regular routine armed aerial reconnaissance mission. And then it may be chopped over to an ally, which is military talk for signed off. Then their ground station takes control of that. That predator or reaper, I'm sorry, not a predator, a reaper Reaper. drone with its 16 Hellfire missiles that just happen to be on the airplane, right, starts flying a mission off around Kiev and slaughters whoever is in its way. It's it's just an extension. It's an extension of giving them stingers and javelins. It's land lease. Yeah. Right? That aircraft will not land in Frankfurt. That aircraft will now land in Ivano-Frankivsk, or it'll land up in Ternopil, one of these small air bases where you have air cover. It is rearmed, refueled, reset, and goes back and does it. I would do that. I mean, I personally feel I would have been watching for almost two weeks. Global Hawk which is our, you know, our, our high altitude, completely persistent, um, you know, drone that can stay up for weeks at a time. Yeah. Uh, I would have ground operator or gra- all ground interpretation will not be directly streamed to the United States. It'll stream right down to the Ukrainian command post in wherever. And the Ukrainians will analyze the data as they see it. Yeah. And then they will use that data as they see. Well, and they're and they're asking they're asking Israel for the Iron Dome. They want everything. Give me anything can I, I can get to can kill get the bad Iron guys Dome. before they kill me. Iron, right? Iron so, Dome is not an effective system. For but they're but they're asking for everything. Right? They're asking they're for everything. Ask for everything. If I, here's another thing, why aren't the Turkish just suddenly handing over thirty or forty of the Bakhtiar, you know, uh, uh, Bakhtiar um, drone systems? The problem with that drone is it only carries two missiles. You let, know, let me so let I, me ask you. Reaper is a better we, idea. I love getting into the tactical. I love getting into the specific. If folks aren't military people, they may be geeking out over this right now. And this is part of the conversation that actually I, w- I want to share because you're not seeing this on CNN. You're not going to get a deep dive in the way that you're framing and explaining this stuff. But I also want to pull it back and say we're also not cutting off the oil. Right. Biden hasn't prepared America for war footing. He hasn't cut off the oil imports. And a lot of our brothers and sisters who, who are veterans uh, view our country as not doing enough. They want to join this as a good fight of our time. They view this like 1939. I do personally. I've been open about this. You know, yeah, I have two kids. I'm here in the U.S., but I think about going. And I know people who are signing up right now at the Ukrainian embassy. They want to go fight. I don't know if you are going to join the fight, but let me ask you this, Malcolm. Our <laughs> brothers and sister veterans, not just from the U.S., but also from Germany, from Israel, from other places, are joining the International Legion. Zelensky has also said, come fight with us. Join the fight. We'll train you up. We'll give you a Ukrainian uniform. I think this is a very big story for a number of reasons. One, because it will change the dynamic of how the American public views this war. One American troop gets 
snatched, gets killed. It changes our skin in the game in a way we may not have anticipated. We we already let have, me ask you. Let me get to the question if I can. So well, when you were there, did, in Russia, there's yes. American citizens in Russia. They said they may imprison or not allow to leave. That's what I'm trying to get ahead of this in a way that I don't think Biden has. Right. I don't think Biden and the well, White House have like, leveled Biden with the American. His, his problem is his staff. Right. But, know, but let, let me get to the question well, I really want to get to is when you were there. Yes. Did you see American veterans already on the ground? What no. is your read on on how many veterans you think will go? And how does that change the dynamic when a bunch of dudes from the 82nd Airborne go? And, and they don't all want to be door kickers. Some of them are medics. Some of them want to help fix tanks. Some of them want to help do you know put fuel in because we're really good at logistics, right? So all well, these men and women that are joining, can you talk about that point of this specifically? Because yeah, I, I think it's a big deep, story right now. I had some some deep dives with the Ukrainian government over the proposed legion, um, and they were not. Let me tell you something. Until the moment those bombs struck, none of this was thought about. Uh, although the Ukrainian army thought about it, and there were a few people who were preparing. Uh, you know, for the militia organizations, the territorial brigades to stand up and they were giving training around the city. But for the most part, it was going to be open up the weapons lockers, take what you want, go out in the street and you will organize into local organizations. That's one thing, the territorial home guards that are just what we call MWRs, right? Men with rifles. <laughs> and they've got no training. Some of them may have been conscripts in the Soviet era. But for the most part, they're, they're, they're out just cool digging, you know, every one body in, 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 in its way. Now, the, the, they are organized now into territorial battalions in name, right? They're sort of like ISIS or Al-Qaeda brigades, right? Six guys in a six pack equals a battalion. Mm -hmm. So, but the Ukrainians are very determined people. Now, let's talk about the International Brigade, uh, which I know something about. And... The, 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 the methodology for getting into it is not just walking over there. You got to go to an embassy. You got to be cleared by the defense attache. You had to have had previous experience. Um, my issue is that it's sort of being done willy nilly because the International uh, Legion is being considered a territorial home guard unit, which means that you're not going to be operating as a group of Americans. You're going to be operating as a gaggle of MWRs with experience. And what they need is they need to form a national level infrastructure that breaks you down by language, that breaks you down by combat experience and doesn't make you a territorial. Uh, I, I personally have said that the uh, that the Legion itself needs to be a flying squad once they've proven themselves. So they've got to be brought up. They should be paralleled, uh, you know, with a with a unit that's on the front line. You let them work their way into it, get a little, you know, re reorient themselves to the loud noises that they were used to in Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of experience that's missing here um, that the Ukrainians haven't quite tapped into yet. And that is that there is no infrastructure for a guerrilla war and they are going to have a guerrilla war. They, in fact, that guerrilla war is happening right now. If you saw the I don't know if any of your viewers saw the video of where there were four tanks uh, next to, whoops, sorry, there were four tanks um, uh, next to each other and a, and a bunch of uh, locals looted all of these weapons trucks, just couldn't even get their minivan filled, you know, off the, off the ground with it, and then set fire to these tanks, which is great. But what they need to do is when you find an abandoned tank, 
Call us. We'll get tank wreckers out there and we'll put four tanks in the Ukrainian army inventory. Right. Right. So, you know, this is what happens when you have MWRs, men with rifles. They just go, oh, well, there's tanks. Let me do something about that. Throw a Molotov down it. Maybe we needed all that main gun ammunition. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Maybe we needed to recover that. Maybe. So that guerrilla war is started, but it needs to be organized into a maquis. Right. Like the French. I mean, that's the part of this now that I think. A lot of Americans assume, and I think the White House assumes, that they can control a whole lot more than they can, right? And especially in the early phases of this, it's going to be more messy and more costly and more bloody than I think most people, at least in this country, are are ready for. The Ukrainians have been fighting the Russians for years. I think they're grounded in that. And I think that's where Biden had a 9-11 moment. He didn't tell the American people, this is going to be long, this is going to be hard, but it's going to be worth it. He was kind of like Bush after 9-11 saying, you know, go shopping, everything's going to be okay. But others are answering the call. So I think we're quickly going to be at a point where the New York Times reports in a couple of weeks to X thousand American veterans are now in the fight. I don't right? believe that at all. I don't believe that at all. Okay. Uh, because first off, um, you know, I it's it's not just something you can just up and do. I think a lot of people are talking. Zelensky's yeah. got sixteen thousand people. He's correct. Sixteen thousand Ukrainians have returned home right. to fight. There right. might be a few hundred. Here's how the Ukrainian armed forces existed two weeks ago. If you were a foreigner, you had to come in. You had to join a, uh, on a four year contract in Ukrainian forces. Uh, we just I think we've got a guy right now. I don't know whether he's online anymore, but his name was um, uh, was uh, Ukrainian Jundi and uh, which is Arabic for a soldier. And he was surrounded in Mariupol yesterday. And he said, hey, I'm going to be offline. We're surrounded. We're taking heavy fire. And he's British. Uh, but he was a Ukrainian Marine, you know, who lived there and was in the forces. The guys who are going to be coming now again are there, you know, in the International Legion are going to be a disparate group of people who, if you throw them in one and two, you're going to take casualties. And this is why guys who are thinking about it, okay, have your acts together. Just because they fly you over doesn't mean that you're going to be doing what you think you're going to be doing. Right. And I know there's already some special forces guys over there running humanitarian stuff at the border. This is bigger than all of that. This isn't like a brigade of 82nd, right? 4,800 men have all decided to go as a body. No, this is, you know, trips and drafts. And you got to remember that on the conservative side of this ledger, uh, they're pro-Putin. And what I think the Ukrainians are going to have to be a little careful about is counterintelligence. Mm. Uh, There's already an American who has been over in Russia for years now, uh, who went out with the Ukraine, went out with the Russian army and is broadcasting propaganda videos for Vladimir Putin about how they're going to kill the Ukrainian Nazis and all this stuff. We can't afford the Ukrainians can't afford to have somebody like that on TV yahooing going i'm out here just to kill russians i I think that's the that's the bigger part of this is the propaganda war right like you know uh zelensky would love to have a couple american guys like you with a million twitter followers that can also amplify messages right this can be symbolic on both sides you can be in a really shitty situation where we've got a high profile american that gets killed or captured right i keep saying that there could be a pat tillman type moment right where in my view pat tillman was the first american that most americans felt like they knew who died in afghanistan so we could have a shitty jessica lynch situation some you know yahoo from the alabama national guard goes in there and gets captured right but 
on the flip side, I think Zelensky could use this to galvanize more American support, more Western support. They may be smaller numbers, but they may be powerful symbolically. And what I want to ask you is, and I want to get to the, the, the where we always go with you, which is what comes next. And today, uh, Lindsey Graham said, made an open call on, in media to people inside Russia saying, take out Putin. And I will say flat out, I don't think this ends until Putin is dead or in jail. If we beat him now and he lives to fight another day, he'll keep coming. He may be playing the long game where he wants to bog us down in Ukraine and wait till the congressional elections and wait till Biden's gone and wait till Trump comes back and has a different scenario. But let me ask you this. Um, is there a way this ends without Putin dead? Well, there has, I mean, that has to be an option. That's what diplomacy is about. We're not here for regime change and we can't make that decision. We can't. No one's here. You know, this, but from it, internal too, I should specify. Isn't a there's also, there's also a movie, right? The, the most yeah. likely way for him to 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 be overthrown is likely from the inside. And I think that's what a lot of people are. I've actually for, right? said this. I've actually said this on air, uh, not on television, definitely on radio. That is incumbent upon that if Vladimir Putin shows more instability to where he really orders people to carry, you know, use nuclear weapons, or he at readies tactical nuclear weapons, you know, as let's say the Ukrainians actually successfully carry out, you know, a battle of Yavin, right? <laughs> that where they come around and just boom, numerically superior forces suddenly cut off and being destroyed. And his army is starting to go away. The cream of the technology of the Ukraine, of the Russian army starts getting wiped out. What does he do? What does he go to one? Does he go to one kilogram? Does he go to five, kil, no, one kiloton, five kiloton? tactical nuclear weapon and just eliminates a city as a warning. At that point, that famous line from uh, that was spoken to Captain Willard in the movie Apocalypse Now, you know, terminate the colonel's command. Yeah. That has to be incumbent upon the chain of command around him. Because when you detonate a nuclear weapon, now you're talking about your kids are going to be eating the remnants of that nuclear weapon the next morning. It goes over everything, goes all around the world, gets in the stratosphere and comes down. And it's it's just I find it strange that, you know, the American public is so quick to say, let's take out Gaddafi. Let's take out Saddam. But there's a different set of rules in this scenario. And that and that's why I think to Putin's advantage. Right. Five hundred atomic bomb rule. Yeah. Yeah. But, (laughs) you know, I, I, I do. I do think that for folks to assume Putin won't do anything because of something is the flaw. Like we have to plan for everything he could do. And, you know, as a military planner, you you know, hope is not is not a plan. You know, you plan for the most dangerous course of action and the most dangerous course of action right now in the same way it was on January 6th is Trump had access to nukes. Right. And politically, we had to remove him. We had to ensure he relinquished power. That was a conversation happening in this country. And, And I think, you know, fueling that conversation in Russia is something we should be doing, right? That doesn't mean we're calling for an assassination, although that's something people will call for too. And we should have an, a conversation about it, I think, and not be afraid to have that conversation because we've had it so many other times before. I don't think Russia stops until he's gone and a couple levels down are gone. And there is a scenario that I think you're laying out and others are starting to understand that we don't have to just you know, save Ukraine. We can we can defeat Russia in Ukraine and change the course of history here. This is why, in my view, it is 1939. We can 
end up in a much better place. It might take us 10 years. It might take us 20 years, but we might no longer have a dictator with nukes in Russia. And that's where I feel like the, the president, especially in our country, hasn't laid that out for people. He just keeps kicking the can down the road. Well, and, and that's well, how we well, got here. President of the United States doesn't control the world, man. You can't put that on him. I mean, and look, this isn't Donald Trump. This is a competent president who actually thinks through what's going on. Trump was literally Putin's puppy. He, he was a he was a subordinate. And but do you and, think that Biden is really no, leveled with saying, the American people? Yeah, he's already leveled with the American people. It's just that, you know, you there's just only so much you can do. We are in a boom economy, but 57 percent of America thinks we're in a recession. Because we have a propaganda system, we have a, we have three channels: OAN, you know, uh, Newsmax, Newsmax, and Fox, and Fox. That claim America's in a recession. Donald Trump, when he left office, had what thirty-two thousand on the stock market. It's almost nearing forty thousand. These things are different. We are living in a world where facts no longer matter, and no matter how good it feels, we insist that it doesn't feel good because we base it on what the price of gas today? Well, you know, Biden said that he has now got uh, convinced most of the free world to open their petroleum reserves and that there could be an economic boom for the United States in natural gas in that Germany is now going to build three natural gas receiving spots. And the only two places that will be supplying it is the United States and Qatar. So, you know, there is a possibility, and a friend of mine said this to me about Germany the other day. A week ago, we were anti-nuke, uh, anti-nuke, leaning towards Russia, big on natural gas, and didn't think we should get involved with weapons. Today, we want to give them all the weapons they can carry. We want to cut our dependence on natural gas to Russia. And, you know, and we are more than willing to see this thing, you know, to stand with NATO. So, the world changes on a dime. The problem is Americans, and I, you know, I know where you know this is independent media, but Americans are a little lazy, and they're a little self-centered, and they are a little too enmeshed in their comfort. I was over there; I had a grand old time. Um, now everything that I saw—coffee houses, kids going to school, walks around Ternopil Lake—that's gone. That's done. People are now dying in very, very large numbers. And I'm afraid for the Afghans who were my neighbors in my hotel. Little Muhammad, this kid that learned how to open my hotel room door all the time. They moved from Afghanistan. They're in Kiev. And now they have to become second refugees. So, so let me so let me ask you the, the question. Right. And, and we're I think in a lot of areas we're in heated agreement. In some areas we disagree. I, I, I think that. Biden did not prepare the country for what could be a long slog, for what could be mass casualties. And and maybe he's got, I'm wait, sure wait, wait. there's plenty of things that they're working on. Wait, let me finish if I can. Let, for Ukraine's mass casualties or American? No, Ukraine's mass casualties. I don't, I don't no. think the American public until now he understands. Left and right, come on. Un but let me finish if I can. So I, I don't I don't think you see it's shifting already. Right. Switzerland sending weapons. Germany sending changing the way they operate. This is tipping in a way that it hadn't before. Right. Even today. Now people are reexamining whether or not you can enforce a no fly zone. The country is moving pretty quickly, I think. 
And But they still don't want war. And the question for the rest of the world is, will America fight anymore? It seems like if you look at Afghanistan and now you look at Ukraine, we're going to stand on the sidelines. We're going we're gonna to keep our arms length. We're not going to pay for it in blood. We will do some economic sanctions, extre- extreme economic sanctions, but we won't cut off the oil. Maybe that is coming soon. But uh, I, I let me ask you to be no, let me now. ask you to be Nostradamus. Where sure. does this go? Where, okay. where are we a year from now? Be predictive, not just analytical, but be predictive and tell us where you think this goes. There's only there's only one way that Russia can win this war. And that's if Putin does a national mobilization of conscripts, calls up a million people. Right. And what with what little gains that he has right now, he floods that country with just rifles. Rifles, by the way, we're now entering we thought it was bad two weeks ago. We are now just entering the mud season, which is for the next two months, you cannot put your foot on dirt. You'll go down yep. to your knee, right? And then the planting season comes, then the summer harvest, blah, 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 blah. So if Putin does that, he has a chance of occupying parts of the country. I'm telling you right now, he cannot, with the resources he has right now, he can't destroy the Ukrainian army. He can't cut the country, the army. He can't even cut the country in half, even though all these analysts are saying he's doing it. He doesn't. He doesn't have the combat flow. He doesn't have the logistics. So what are you going to get? You're going to get a Ukrainian force that over time is going to shift from just frontline, you know, bombs, guns and helicopter rides to an insurgent force. And they are going to become, even though they're still wearing their uniforms, their primary job in the day will be pulling watches overwatches and ambushes on Russian convoys and their night job will be planting improvised explosive devices and one kilometer long daisy chain artillery shells. And they will let the Russians understand what happened to America for 20 years in a way that Russians will not even be able to sustain the combat forces that are in Ukraine. Because what was the most dangerous thing you and I could ever do in Iraq or Afghanistan? Get in drive. a vehicle. Drive. Yeah, drive. No, no, yeah. no, no. Just getting in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you yeah, got in yeah, it, it could yeah. be, uh, you know, an any tank guided missile could be. So, could be. So, so what you're saying is this goes, and, and in your view, this becomes uh, Afghanistan for Russia. And, and that could last for, for, for one year, two years, or it could be like our Afghanistan and last for 20 years. Uh, and we've got I, a new I, line, I, a new Berlin Wall, and it's the barrier between Ukraine and Europe. And and this is what happens for a generation until Putin dies of old age. What happens? That's yeah, pretty much it, right? <laughs> or lead poisoning. But um, I I think that this won't go longer than a year. I really, unless Putin mm-hmm. decides he is going total war. And, the and then what? And then he pulls out. He says, "I give up. I'm giving you no, back I don't Ukraine." Think he'll pull out. I, I actually think Ukrainians will have enough throw power. Again, you know, when you bring a, a combat unit forward, right, and you go into that little corral, you go into that little 360 defensive yeah. position there, because you're still mobile force. You're not occupying a compound, okay? Right. And you still got to sit at the crossroads in your tank, pulling shifts 24-7 so that there's heavy armor on the road, right? You have to survive that night, okay? And when that night they wake up and they go, checkpoint one and three, both tanks were blown up and their turrets went sky high and everybody was killed. And now we got to fall back one or three kilometers to the next crossroads. That's how they progress. They inch yep. the ball one foot at a dime and there's no fourth down. 
for the Ukrainian army. You make it, you know, we have this joke about Our Lady of Javelin, right? And mm-hmm. Saint and Saint Enlaw. Now we have, you know, um, you know, the the Friar of Panzerfaust three is coming because the Germans just gave him a thousand Panzerfaust. And, you know, the, what you're uh, talking about is tank killers, right? And, We're talking about the weapons that come in. These and are going to be. Oh, I remember the, the Canadian yeah. number set 24,500 M72 law A1 rockets. 24,000 law rockets. That's a light anti-tank rocket tube rocket. Everyone's an anti-tanker now. Right. You're, no one's a right. shooter. Everyone, right. their, their right. day job right. will be will be making tea. Their night job will be destroying tanks. You could, there are right now more javelins than there are tanks in, in, in the Russian inventory. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to try to wrap it up there and say, look, I I think you have been accurate in most of your predictions for, I don't know, last decade or two. Um, This show has continued to try to keep people ahead of the curve and also challenge the conventional wisdom because two weeks ago, everybody said Putin was going to roll and Ukraine was going to fall and this was going to be over. And, and part of what I frankly think you and I and others in the, in this media space have been trying to do is disrupt this flow, disrupt the common knowledge, disrupt the group thing, because they've been wrong about Afghanistan. They were wrong about Iraq. They're wrong now. And we're not right all the time either. But busting up this this group thing that's happening and I think misinforming the American people and not serving us well is a part of why I am so concerned about the bigger picture. I think NATO is in many ways obsolete. I think Congress has shown us that they're, you know, in many ways not able to adapt. All of our existing structures have not evolved for the times, and that includes the media. And and that's why I have done what I'm doing now. And this is my way to support the fight. And anybody listening in Ukraine knows that I stand with Ukraine and I will say down with Putin and I will say glory to Ukraine. And I hope others will echo that and that the fighters in Ukraine hear me and you and other Americans who are standing with them in any way we can. You're going to continue to do that. And I, and I want to thank you for that because it is a public service. It's a global service. And you don't have to agree with us all the time, but I think we're on the side of the side of good. And that's been true fighting enemies, foreign and domestic. And we got our own problems in the days to come. But Malcolm, you've been intrepid. You've been tenacious. You've been there, which is really, really important. And I hope that folks will look at whatever you put out every day on Twitter and and in the weeks to come, because I know you've got more to share about your time over there, man. All right. Well, thanks. It's great to be here in Slava, Ukraine. Slava Ukraine. Thank you, man. Stay. How do you say stay vigilant in Ukraine? You know, we'll say Slava Ukraine. (laughs) F you Putin. (laughs) Yeah. And fuck you Putin. Absolutely. Thank you, my friend. All right. Take care. There it is. Now you know what I mean when I say easy is over. Be sure to follow Malcolm on Twitter. He's got over 1 million followers now. He's a voice of reason. He's a true helper. He's very connected on the ground, and he's sharing outstanding content. So check him out, support his work, and spread the word about this conversation because Malcolm is one of many that is a true helper stepping up to meet this historic moment. Always look for the helpers. There will always be helpers, you know, even just on the sidelines because if you look for the helpers, you'll know that there's hope. If you're a regular, you know the deal. Check the hashtag, look for the helpers on Twitter and share yours. I continue to share inspiring stories from inside Ukraine and around the world as the world rallies to fight Putin and stand on the side of good versus evil. 
You can check out much more if you go to independentamericans.us, where you can check out the video of this conversation with Malcolm. You can see inside Malcolm's secret spy lair. You can also see every single conversation we've done on Ukraine and on other topics. We're also on YouTube, but you can check out our recent episode with Bianca Goladriga. You can check out Molly McHugh on cyber, Dan Lamont on the press situation. American press is still not being allowed to embed right now with American forces in Europe. And you can also find other ways to support the cause and support this show. You can get independent Americans gear and you can share it with your friends. Our numbers are way up. People are listening. People are tuning in. So a special welcome to all of the newcomers to the Independent Americans community. It's great to have you here. If you want to go deeper, you can show your support for this show by joining our Patreon community. Big shout out to our Patreon members who continue to meet this moment, and especially a new patron, Marilyn Beam. Welcome, Marilyn. Thank you for your support. Great to have you here. And thanks to all of our other Patreon members. As always, please support this show and go to the Apple Podcast Store and give us five stars. A lot of you haven't done it. It's one thing you can do. Just drop five stars and subscribe for free if you haven't already and share. It's part of our philosophy. We want all our content free. There are no paywalls. You can get it anywhere. And for the folks that don't understand podcasts, basically everybody understands YouTube. So you can share the YouTube links as well. And for folks that want to watch TV, you can watch our conversations. All of them are on video. Everything is on the Independent Americans YouTube page and the Righteous Media YouTube page where you can see all of our shows. Righteous is continuing to bring you the five eyes in all our podcasts and everything we do. Independence, integrity, information, inspiration, and impact. There's also a brand new episode of B-Dorm out today, hosted by Don Elevert and Jericho Turner. We've got new episodes of The Firefighters with Rob Sarah, and we've got lots more new content and new shows coming in the days ahead, so stay tuned. And it's powered by the Righteous Media team that knows that easy is over. Creative Chris Rosenthal, brilliant Bill Schultz, precise Paula Hernandez. They're exactly the kind of folks you want by your side in the fight. And of course, my wife, Lori, and my two boys, Ryder and River, they're always by our side. They're always helping power this. And they are why I fight every day to try to make an impact in this world. America's more divided than ever. But we do seem to be uniting around the fight for Ukraine. And we at Independent Americans and Righteous Media are working to continue to push that, to bring people together, to add light, to contrast, to heat, and to unite Americans any way we can. And especially... If you're among the 42% of Americans who are independent, this is your show. If you're a Republican or a Democrat, and you're not a diehard partisan, this is your show. If you're a concerned American, especially if you want to get more information about national security, foreign affairs, military operations, veterans issues, this is your show. All are welcome. And we invite you to join us and be a part of the solution. Look for me also on Twitter. I'm tweeting on a regular basis, lots of content from inside Ukraine, ways you can help, and inspiring stories. I'm also hosting conversations on Twitter spaces. I did one the other night, and I may do more soon. It's kind of like hosting a radio show, and occasionally I'll go live, and maybe you can join me. It's another way we're trying to share the hope and share the inspiration, because hope is the oxygen of democracy here in America and worldwide, especially inside Russia now. As Twitter goes dark, as companies pull out, as the cords get cut, hope is going to be the oxygen of democracy inside Russia. And we need to do all we can to fuel it. And of course, inside Ukraine. It's that energy that is keeping this movement of Ukrainian freedom going. And it's that energy that keeps this movement of independent Americans growing week by week by week. And we'll do all we can to fuel the fight in Ukraine, to help beat Putin, 
and to help inspire a new future that is better for all of us. So stay vigilant, my friend, because eternal vigilance is the price of freedom. And it's a price the Ukrainian people continue to pay right now. In bomb shelters, hiding in buildings, having babies in subways, the Ukrainian people are paying a severe price right now. And there's a higher price that we in America have to be willing to pay in the days to come. This is the moment, not just for Ukraine, but for the world. So if you're feeling frustrated, if you're feeling exhausted, if you're feeling scared, draw inspiration from the heroism of the Ukrainian people. Old, young, special operations to hip-hop artists. Ukraine is the light that we can all rally around after lots of dark days. But easy is over. And the people of Ukraine know that as they prepare for another day of shelling and bombs and bloodshed. In last episode, I laid it out. And now, until further notice, we must fight alongside Ukraine in whatever way we can. Show the people of Ukraine that we will not only stand with them, but that we will fight by their side and that we will stay vigilant. Let them know they're not alone in their vigilance, that we're all vigilant and we're all in this fight together, especially now. All across America, all across Ukraine, all across Russia and all around the world, we are all in this together. Easy is over, but we're up for it. And we all bond in the suck. I'm your host, Paul Rykoff. Thank you for listening and for spending so much of your time with us and for supporting this movement. Down with Putin. Glory to Ukraine. And stay vigilant, America. Powered by Righteous Media.